Well, good morning. It's good to be with you guys today. I always look forward to Sundays just getting to spend some time with the people that I love the most, and that would be you. Well, my wife and kids too, but I love you guys. Uh, we're going to be in Mark chapter 8 today. If you've got your Bible along with you, please open up to Mark, the 8th chapter. If you do not have a Bible, uh, please feel free to grab those uh, Bibles that are available on the, in the racks on the side of the walls here. And if you don't have a Bible at home, you feel free to take that as our gift for you. We'd love you to, to take that home. passage we're going to be in today in, in Mark chapter 8 is a very unique one. contains a healing miracle of Jesus, and that's not unique because he healed a lot. But at this particular instance is only recorded in the book of Mark. And what makes it unique is that it's the only recorded miracle of Jesus that happened in stages or gradually. It didn't happen right away. It, I think it's a fascinating narrative. Some of the more astute among you will say, were we in Mark 8 last week? Yes, we were. And uh, I'm going to dabble a little bit in Mark 9 today. Uh, as I've told you as we've been going through this series, we're, we're doing kind of a 30,000 feet uh, flyby over the book of Mark. And uh, I'm going to pick another passage uh, from Mark 8 today that I want to land on. Because I think it's a powerful narrative. It's an incredibly encouraging story. And there's some applications, a very practical application for us here. I want to ask you to raise your hand. But uh, have you ever wondered how to pray for people effectively? Have you ever thought, man, I wish I could just pray like Jesus. I wish I could pray better. I, I, I don't know what to do when I pray for people. I'm not sure how to approach it. And, and there's there some special prayer I need to memorize. Or there's some magic words I need to say. Do I need to do something that kind of makes it holy? Well, if you've wondered about that, or perhaps you've prayed for people, and I know I can raise my hand on this, and nothing happened. You prayed, you asked, you did what you thought you were supposed to do. But nothing really took place. Well, if you fall in any of those categories, then today's talk is for you. Years ago, uh, when I was a very young man, 20 years of age, I was on staff at a very large church in Eugene, Oregon. And I was a youth pastor there. I was actually one of four youth pastors in that church. And it was an incredible season, an amazing time in uh, Eugene, in the country with the Jesus People Movement, kind of the tail end of that. But it was phenomenal. And I, I got to be on staff at this amazing church. Part of what the church did, though, is that after every service, now this is going to blow some of your minds, we actually had three church services a week. I was like, what? Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. And uh, after almost every Sunday night and Wednesday night service, and sometimes on Sunday morning, uh, Roy Jr., the pastor, who was speaking that day, would call the staff pastors down front, and we would line up, and they had these little vials of oil that we would grab, and our job was to pray for people. And I remember the first time I was told, hey, uh, when Pastor Roy calls you down, make sure you get up and go there. I'm going, uh, do what? Well, you're supposed to come. You have to help us pray for people. Now, here's the, here's the insight. I had been a Christian for a while. I'd been in church all of my life, and not one time, I'm 20 years old, not one time in my entire life had I ever prayed for anybody. Now, I prayed for people, but I mean not laying my hands on them and praying for them to get well or to have something, you know, God do something in their life. So I'm, I'm freaking out, and I have no idea what I'm doing. And uh, if, I remember it was a Wednesday night. I'll never forget it. Wednesday night, and I'm all by myself, and I got my little trusty vial of oil in my hand, and, and this lady comes forward, and she says, man, she said, I, I, I didn't, I, I didn't want to come tonight. I shouldn't be here. I've got this incredibly bad migraine. I'm feeling sick to my stomach. Of course, I step back. And she said, I, I just, I just I, but I knew God wanted me to be here tonight. I know he wants to heal me. Would you pray for me? And my first thought was, oh, crap. 
can you say crap in church? Okay, thanks. I'm like, oh man, I'm just so like, what? God, couldn't you give me somebody that was like having, you know, a bad day, not a bad headache and, and migraine. And so I, I got the oil out and I anointed and I started praying and I droned on and on and on with this pathetic prayer. And I just, the whole time I'm thinking, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. And I'm just wanting to get through it so she would just move on. And, and, and yet I'm thinking, thinking at the same time, if I get done too quickly, I'll have to pray for somebody else. Am I a spiritual giant or what? So anyhow, I'm praying for this woman, and I'm, I don't even know what I'm saying. And all of a sudden, I have my hand on her, on her head because everybody else was doing that. I guess I lift my hand on her head. So I have my hand on her head, and all of a sudden she looked up at me, and she grabbed my hand. She says, my headache's gone. My migraine's gone. And I'm thinking... No way. <laughs> and I even said something like that. You gotta be, you're kidding me, right? No, it's gone. I mean, just like that. That never happens. I'm healed. And she starts doing this little jig and all this attention's being drawn to us. And I'm like, shh. I don't want to pray for anybody else. So again, I'm this great man of faith. But I tell you what, here's what happened to me. I'm 20 years old. And that night, that Wednesday night in Eugene, Oregon, I got hooked. I thought, wow, you mean God does this still? You mean he can use an idiot like me and he can use, and, and wow. And I got hooked. And since that time, uh, now 37 years old, do the math, you'll figure it out. I, I've been praying for people, I've prayed for thousands of people. Now, I'll be honest with you, probably more than not weren't healed. I've prayed for thousands of people, not all of them have been healed, you know, and so I, I, I make no claim to be a healer. I am not planning on a TV show any day soon. But I will tell you this, even those that weren't healed, they, they, God touched them. They felt loved. They felt cared for. And I have seen, I could, and I'll give you a few stories today, tell you story after story of where I've seen God do miraculous things. Why do I want to unpack this particular passage in Mark 8 today about Jesus praying for somebody? If you're a seeker, if you're investigating Christianity, if you're here today and you've not yet made the decision to follow Jesus, I'm so glad you're here. And I want you to know this is a safe place for you to discover grace. Nobody's going to ever make you do anything. But I, I also feel the obligation to let you in on some things about Jesus. And if you're going to be a Christ follower, you know, the word Christian is kind of loosely used by everybody, so I like to use the word Christ follower. If you're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to be a disciple of his, if you're going to do, you know, uh, what I would encourage you to do is give your heart, your life to Christ, then it means that you become a follower. You do what Jesus did. You get to, to be a disciple of Jesus means you're the student, he's the teacher. And we get to pattern our life after his. And so I think it's only fair to tell you that part of what we read in the Gospels isn't just Jesus and what he got to do in a few guys, but something that he's called us to do as his followers. But I think I need to give you a model for that today. And all of us need this model. A model is not a mandate. Let me be clear about this. It is not a methodology. There's, I'm going to give you five things that we find in this passage but it's not like, okay, what was step three? You know, there's, it, it's, I want you to relax, but I want to give you this model of prayer that Jesus used, not just here, but in other places. I spoke a few weeks ago about my conviction that as a church, and, and both East Point and I think the church worldwide, that if we're going to reach um, our culture today, especially the 20-something or leaving the church in mass numbers, 
then we need the power in communion. We need to demonstrate the power of God. We need his word. We need the truth. But we need his power, and we need this community where people look at us and go, see how they love one another, and they're drawn to that. And I believe those are the rails that, that the train of God's presence is coming on, power and communion. That's what we need to know. And today I'm going to talk about God's miraculous power and how he can use you, how he wants to use us. And so again, what we're going to consider is this model. It's a doable model. We'll pick it up in Mark chapter 8, verse 22. And it's a smaller portion of this uh, long chapter. But Mark 8, verse 22. They, Jesus and his disciples, came to Bethsaida. And some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. We don't know who these some people are. Friends, family, who knows? Maybe they're just kind people that saw this blind guy trying to make his way to Jesus. And they said, hey, come with us. We'll help you. But what we do know is some people are bringing this man to Jesus, and they must have been friends. They must have known him because they begged Jesus. That's a strong word. And it just means, hey, Jesus, if you got time, if you don't, how, how do you feel about? No, they, were, they pleaded. They begged Jesus to touch this man. Verse 23, he, Jesus, took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. Exactly why, we don't know. I think it's because he wanted to honor this man and didn't want to, you know, make a spectacle out of him. Maybe it's because he, 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 he didn't want to, you know, create this fervor. Uh, he, he knew it wasn't his time, and he didn't want to become crowned king. But whatever reason, he took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. And when he had spit on the man's eyes, it's, it's there. When Jesus, <laughs> he spit on the man's eyes. Now, I, I would promise you something. I will probably never spit in your eye. Not intentionally. If you get close to me, it kind of in the spray zone here, it happens sometimes. But Jesus spit in the guy's eye and, and, and then he laid his hands on him and Jesus asked him, do you see anything? Verse 24, he, the blind guy, looked up and said, I see people, they look like trees walking around. Well, that's kind of odd. Uh, you know, maybe people had a lot of froze back then, I don't know. But he, he didn't, basically says, yeah, but it's not right. I don't see the way it should be. Verse 25, once more. Love those two words. We're going to land on that today. Once more. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. And Jesus sent him home saying, don't go into the village. He sent him home. He said, don't go by way of the village. The first thing that I want you to see, and I'm going to give you five um, things we can do, five models, five different uh, things that are in this passage that I would encourage you to do when we pray for others. And here's the first one, number one, encourage faith. Encourage faith. Verse 23 says, when you spit on the man's eyes. Now, this is a very strange thing. Um, I know most of us go, wow, what is that all about? Well, most Bible scholars believe that Jesus spit to encourage this man to expect his healing. And again, why would he do that? Well, it was very common in both the Jewish and Hellenistic belief that there were healing powers in saliva. Where they got that idea, I don't know. But they, they had this common belief that there were some healing powers in saliva. Now, Jesus wasn't confused. He knew that wasn't true. And, but he used things, simple things, to build faith, to encourage faith in people. In fact, the Gospels record two other times where Jesus used his spit in active healing. One we looked at uh, when we read Mark 7 a few weeks ago when he spit and touched the man's tongue. Spitting in an eye, gross. Spitting in a man's tongue, eh, even worse in my opinion. But he did. He spit and touched the man. So, <laughs> touched the guy's tongue. And in John 9, 
we see Jesus spitting in some dirt, making mud, and uh, putting it on a, man's, a blind man's eyes. Why? Again, well, Jesus was very aware of this common belief that there was healing power uh, in saliva. What did he do? Why did he do this? He did something, listen carefully, he did something in the physical realm to help this man have faith. He did something that connected with this man's belief system that would help him have faith. The principle here and the application for us is simple. It's good. It's smart. It's wise. It's helpful to look for and utilize ways to release faith in those we're praying for, to encourage faith. Now, I'm not saying that we want to manipulate people or fabricate stuff, not at all, and that's not what Jesus is doing here. But again, Jesus was tapping into something that was already a part of this man's thinking, and he did so so that faith would be activated. Why, again, is this important? Well, if we're going to encourage faith in people, we need to understand that a lot of people are pre-programmed for failure. I, again, I've prayed for a lot of people, and I would be willing to bet that at least half, if not more, came for prayer sort of as a last-ditch thing, or, you know, well, I guess I'll try this. But they, they're pre-programmed for failure. They have a hard time believing that God really wants to touch and heal them. Maybe it's because, and I'll just give you a few reasons for that, maybe it's because they feel unworthy. They know what they've done, the sin they've committed, the stupid things they've, they've done. They, they know what's in their heart, and there's this part of them that feels like, and let me just tell you, this is not God. But there's this part of them that feels like, well, you know, God, I don't really deserve the goodness of God. Let me just clear this up real, 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 real clearly right here. Let me make this painfully clear. None of us deserve the goodness of God. Hello? If you're waiting to be good enough to get something good from God, let me know how that's going for you. Because it's never going to happen. We are, never are we going to be good enough. It's always a gift of his grace, his favor, his unmerited, unearned blessing in our lives. But some people wrestle with feeling unworthy. Some wrestle because they're, 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 they feel defeated. They've been prayed for time after time and nothing's happened. And so there's all this doubt. Some are consumed by fear. They're not sure, you know, what it's going to happen or what it's going to mean to get prayed for. And so they have all these roadblocks that get in the way. And we need to find ways to encourage people to help them to build up their faith. Faith, whether it's theirs or yours, always plays an important part in the equation. Remember in Mark 6, we looked at this a few weeks ago, Mark 6, 5 and 6, when Jesus returned to his hometown, to the place he grew up, it says he could not do any miracles there except lay hands on a few sick people and heal them. Why? Because he was amazed at their lack of faith. Jesus himself was hindered in his hometown from doing some things that he normally would have done and did many other places. Why? Because the people lack faith. And Jesus wants us to have faith in God. He always encourages that. And so we need to look for wise ways to utilize, to encourage, to build faith in the people that we're praying for. Here's the second thing, number two. Whenever possible and appropriate, touch people at their point of need. Whenever possible and appropriate, touch them at their point of need. For this blind man, touch was very assuring. I have a friend uh, years ago who, uh, born blind, been blind all of his life. And I, I tell you, I promise you, touch is very reassuring to people when they're in a dark, imagine not having any idea what's around you, what your, your, your environment's like. And so touch can be very reassuring. And for most of us, that's true as well. Now, I don't understand. I honestly, I'll admit to you, I don't get the science or the spiritual um, reasons why there's power in touch. But I know this. I know there is. There is. Mark 6, 56, the end of Mark 6, 
Whenever Jesus went into villages and towns or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces, and they begged him to let him touch even the edge of his cloak. And it says here, all who touched him were healed. All who touched Jesus. And Jesus touched often, touched people, and in the process, they were healed. There's something powerful about touch. Now, it's not some force within us. Let me just clear that up. It's not, it's not us. It's God through us that's touching others. Uh, some time ago, my back was really bad. You know that occasionally I have issues. And I was in quite a bit of pain, and I had a friend pray for me. And they said, can I lay your, my hand on your back? I said, you bet. And they put their hand right on the small of my back. And as they prayed for me, I felt power. And you think, ooh. No, I, it was God through them. And it wasn't just a sweaty palm. It was God's presence working through them and touching my back. Besides touch being powerful and something Jesus often practiced and something I practice on a regular basis when I'm praying for people, the other thing about touch is that it communicates acceptance and compassion. Acceptance and compassion. One of my favorite stories is a story found in Mark, the first chapter, where Jesus touched and healed the leper. Do you remember it? And I love this story. Lepers in that culture, completely untouchable. They, they were supposed to, when they went into a situation where there were people around, they were supposed to yell out, unclean, unclean. Nobody wanted to touch a leper. They were afraid of getting leprosy. They, were, they didn't want to get spiritually unclean. And so there was, they were untouchables in that culture. And, ver, and Mark 1, verse 40, 42 says, A man with leprosy came to Jesus and begged him. They were, again, here's this desperate plea, begged him on his knees. And he said to Jesus, If you're willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion. Here's a whole other message in this. What drives us to pray for people? Side note, compassion, care, love. Jesus, filled with compassion, reached out his hand and touched the man. And everybody around Jesus who saw that, including the disciples, were going, oh, what is he doing? Now he's spiritually unclean. He's probably going to get leprosy. You just don't do this. Jesus reached out and he touched this man. He said, I'm willing to be clean. It says, and immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. In our society, we have outcasts. We have untouchables. In Jesus, they had him as well. And Jesus showed compassion and acceptance by actually embracing them. And again, it's not something magical, but there is something powerful. And I would say maybe mystical, but not magical, when we touch people at their point of need. Here's the third thing, third part of this healing model. I said, it's okay to interact with people to determine what's happening. I really, I didn't learn this until I was in my late 20s in a whole other environment and watching somebody else pray for people. But in verse 23, it says, Jesus asked the blind man. I love this. He's, he prayed, and he's asked the guy, do you see anything? In Mark 9, I told you I'd at least refer to Mark 9, there's a story of Jesus dealing with a demonized boy. And he's coming off the Mount of Transformation where he'd been transformed and, and uh, his disciples were dealing with his father and his son and they couldn't, deal, they couldn't get rid of the demon and, and, and they're frustrated and Jesus, you know, comes into the situation and kind of chastises everybody for their lack of faith and in some ways the disciples' lack of faith. And then uh, he asks the father, you know, how long has the boy been like this? And there's this interaction. There's this dialogue. There's this uh, interview process that Jesus went through here with this uh, father regarding his demonized son. But here in Mark 8, um, he asked the man, do you see anything? Now, apparently, and again, we're speculating a little bit here, but this man was probably not born blind. He probably became blind either by a disease or an accident because he knew what trees looked like. 
he was able to at least say that. But Jesus asked this guy what's happening. He asked for feedback from him regarding what was going on at that moment. One of the things I think that is important to note here is that when we pray, we need to be looking for effect. We need to be looking for some effect in this man's life and the people we're praying for. And this, you know, the main reason um, why I pray with my eyes open and uh, most of the time, now often when I'm praying for you as a, a group, I will close my eyes. Sometimes I won't. But generally it's for the few who are peeking and they think I'm looking at them. I'm not. But when I'm praying for people, more often than not, I pray with my eyes open. Why? Because I'm looking for some impact, some effect. Maybe I'm praying about something that's going on in their heart. And then I see tears. When I strike a chord, I go, okay, let's, let's dig a little deeper there because I see this emotional reaction. Maybe I see something physical actually happening on them. But I pray with my eyes open because I'm looking. And then I'll ask people, hey, what's going on? What's happening? I was at a conference in Canada years ago. And I was praying um, with a couple of other people for a woman who came to us and said, I have cancer, and would you pray for us? And, and I was with a woman and another guy, and we began to pray for this woman. And we're all three of us praying for her, and we all have our eyes open. And at one point, I was actually looking at one of the other people. That's another nice thing you do when you have your eyes open, is if you're praying with other people, you can say, yeah, let's, yeah. You can kind of communicate non-verbally with the people you're praying with for someone else. But yeah, all of a sudden, the girl to my left said, oh, did you see that? Nope, missed it. And she kept praying, but the guy had seen it as well. And then their entire... Uh, focus shifted. Instead of praying for healing of cancer, they started praying about the darkness and these powers and all this. And they go, what? I, I really missed something. What's going on here? And we prayed for a while, I don't know, five, ten minutes for this lady. And then all of a sudden, now you're going to think I'm either crazy, lion, or this is, you know, sci-fi stuff. But I'm telling you, I saw this. I'm praying for this woman, and I saw like a bug under her skin, this thing under her skin, move up her cheek across her forehead. And then I realized, oh, I know now why they started praying about the demonic. Now you think, oh, that's just way too weird for me. Well, I'm sorry. But I tell you what, that lady got free that night. She got delivered of some stuff. And seeing that physical manifestation that we would have all three missed it if our eyes had been closed. And by the way, I want to make this clear as well because I don't want any confusion on this. No way am I inferring that everyone who has cancer is because of a demon. I'm not saying that. But in this particular woman's case, that was what was going on. And if you need a biblical reference for that, check out Luke chapter 13. I don't have time, but you can go there on your own. Luke 13. So a woman says she was crippled for 18 years because she was crippled by a spirit, a demonic spirit. My point here, let's move on, is that we need to see what's happening. And so it's okay to, to, to watch, and it's good to ask, hey, what's going on? How do you feel? You feel any different? Do you see anything? Is there anything else going on in you right now? We can interview. We can interact with them. Number four. Number four thing we need to do here, and it's appropriate, is we need to be persistent in prayer and not give up. Be persistent in prayer and don't give up. Verse 25. This is what I love about this passage. It says, once more. Once more. Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes, and then his eyes were open. Once more. Jesus had to pray twice for this guy. And I love those two little words once more. This healing, again, is the only one recorded in the Gospels where it was a two-step or happened in stages. But I tell you what, healing by you know, degree is still healing. And the lesson for us here is that we need to keep at it. 
I think sometimes, I know I've done it, I'll just own it. I'm praying for somebody, and again, maybe I'm hungry, maybe I'm, I, don't, I don't know what to do, or I don't know what to say, and I just want to kind of get it over, and I pray my 30-second prayer, 45-second prayer, and it's done. Sometimes we need to labor a little bit longer there. Stick to it, press in a little further. In Luke 18, there's this amazing parable that Jesus tells of the persistent widow. And it's one of the few parables in the Gospels where at the very beginning, we're told what this parable is about. And we're told here that this is the parable about to encourage people to always pray and to not give up. Jesus encouraged people to always pray and to not give up. He wants us to keep coming to God. And Jesus models for this, this for us here. Well enough to where all the disciples remembered this and it got recorded in the Gospels forever. Became apparent that his healing wasn't complete the first time, and so Jesus prayed again. And so let's be clear about this. It's not a lack of faith to be persistent. Write that down if you're taking notes. It is not a lack of faith to keep praying. Some of us, sometimes we've got this false belief, well, if I keep asking God, I've already asked him for that like a dozen times. I've already, I've already prayed about that. I, you know, God, I, I, and I do not, again, completely understand the theology of this, but I know that, that there's something in, in us that needs to keep pressing on and that God honors that kind of persistence. Keep knocking, keep seeking, keep looking, the Bible says, and you will find. And the, the, the admonition to us is to keep going, to not just give up too quickly or too soon. I've got a friend named Debbie, and uh, 23, 24 years ago, uh, me and a friend of mine prayed for Debbie. She had breast cancer. And she had been diagnosed. She was actually scheduled for surgery and then treatment after that. And she said, hey, would you guys pray for us? And we prayed for, for her. And didn't seem like anything happened. Next week, she says, hey, would you pray for me again? Sure. We prayed again for her. And a couple days later, we got, uh, you know, they didn't have email back in the dark ages. We got a, 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 a note from her saying, hey, my lump is reduced in size. I need you guys to pray for me again. Well, at that point, it's like, okay, let's make an appointment. Two days later, we pray for again, and that time, it was, it was completely gone. It was moved. 23 years ago, 24 years ago, she was diagnosed with breast cancer, was scheduled for surgery, and she's still living, and she never, she, God healed that woman. Now, why did it take three times? Here's my very deep, profound, theological reason. Re reason. Ready? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I know this, though. There's this persistence that we're encouraged to keep praying. Some of you, listen, I'm speaking to you right now. You've given up. You've given up on God. You've given up praying. You've given up praying for a friend, a family member, for yourself. And I want to encourage you today. Keep praying and don't give up. Why did it take three times? I don't know, but I do know that persistence in prayer made a difference. By the way, I want to encourage you... Um, to take full advantage of medical science. I want to I make that something you understand today. Uh, faith and persistence does not mean denying yourself medical treatment. Yeah, that's foolish. You, know, you get whatever help is available and whatever you can, and then you, know, you continue to pray and ask God. In fact, despite what you've heard, here's a little insight today. God and science are not enemies. God created science. And I want to just encourage you. You know, I'm, I'm not, when I pray for people, I, I, uh, if they're saying, man, I'm, I'm not scheduled. Well, until you know you're healed, you keep that schedule. Until you know you're healed, you keep taking those meds. But I need, we need to be persistent in our prayers. Well, one final thing I want to land on briefly. Number five, it's often good to give appropriate post-prayer instructions. 
appropriate post-prayer instructions. In verse 26, the last thing Jesus said to this guy was, don't go into the village. Go home, but don't go into the village. And Jesus probably gave this man that instruction because, again, he didn't want to be, draw attention to himself. He didn't want the village to try and crown him, make him king. He knew it wasn't his time. He knew that's not why he came. He wasn't trying to be popular or famous. He had a mission. And he often, Jesus often gave post-prayer instructions. In Luke 8, he, he told um, the person, don't go tell anyone. And he, he often said that to people as a post-prayer instruction. In John 5, Praying for a person who says, Nate, you need to stop sinning now, or something worse may happen to you. And again, that's not implying that all disease is a result of sin. But in this particular case, it was. And Jesus said, stop it, cut it out. And uh, Mark 5, the woman, we, I love this story. He told the woman, go in peace, go now. He gave her this post-prayer instruction. And again, the lesson for us is simple here. Sometimes after prayer, after praying for somebody, there's something very practical that we need to give them, some practical wisdom we need to impart to them. And if and when that's the case, it's good to give some simple instructions that will help this person walk out their healing. Again, I'm praying for somebody, and they say, I think God, I think God healed me, and, and, I, you know, and, and, and my heart's healed. Like, Great, but don't stop taking your heart medication until you know for sure. Well, I, I really feel like this happened, you know, and, and okay, good. Now, I, this, is, this is what God wants you to do, to walk out that healing in your life. Appropriate post-parent instructions you find a lot in the Scriptures. Now, I won't walk through this pretty quickly today, but I, I want you to see a model. Again, it's not a mandate. It's not just a methodology. It's not there's, you know, five steps. You better make sure you get them all straight or you're going to screw it up. Not at all. But there is a model here, a guide or pattern for us to follow, and I would encourage you to practice some of these things. Again, I'm not suggesting it's the only way to pray, but it's the way that Jesus prayed, and he did it often. And so I want to encourage you, see the benefit of encouraging faith. That's critical. The benefit of touching people at their point of need, of interacting with them, of, of it's okay to say, hey, what's going on? How do you feel? What's happening right now in your body or in your heart? Being persistent and not giving up. And I, perhaps, maybe it's just for some few in this service today, that's maybe the most important takeaway that you need to leave here with today is an encouragement to not give up, to keep praying and then to give helpful post-prayer instructions when necessary. Jesus functioned in a way as Christ followers, he wants us to function. And he wants us to pray for those that are broken in body, broken of heart, broken of mind. He wants us to set the captives free. We get to do what Jesus did, and that's what I love about being part of the kingdom. All right, heads, let me pray for you. In fact, I'm going to ask you, it's very important to me right now, that you uh, just close your eyes, that you offer some privacy. Because I'm going to ask a few questions, and I'm going to ask you to respond. Why? Well, you know, one of the things you'll notice frequently is that people came to Jesus, and they begged him. They sought him out. They had their part in this was to cry out, oh, God, oh, God, please touch me. Please heal me. They responded. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond. Some of you right now uh, need this encouragement because God wants to touch your body, your heart, your mind. There's a few of you here today, and you've come here this morning, and uh, you have been suffering from what I will call night terrors, horrible dreams, horrible sleep, and, and things that you, you just you know, you haven't figured it out. You don't know why, but it's, it's, and I don't want you to freak out by this. I just want you to understand, that's Satan trying to rob you of peace and joy. 
and you're suffering from those night terrors, and God wants to set you free from those today. And if that's you, again, everybody's head bowed, eyes closed, would you just put your, just real quick, just put your hand up. You don't have to hold it up. Just put it up. Say, yep, that's me, Pastor Kurt. Yeah, I see it. Good. Great. Some of you here today, and you have given up believing for a lost family member or friend. And you've prayed for them, but you have given up. And you, when I talked about being persistent today, that was the first thing you thought of. I've stopped praying for them. I've stopped believing that God can work in their life. And today God wants to give you faith and encourage you to be persistent. If that's you, just put your hand up real quick, real quick. Good. All over the room. Great. There's someone here today, and I, I, I don't say this lightly, and I know, believe me, I know how difficult this is. In fact, I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hand. But I want you to raise it in your heart. You've been struggling with infertility and you want a child. And you've tried just about everything. And I want to encourage you. Let us pray for you. Let us be persistent in prayer for you. Don't give up. Jesus wants to touch your body today. Father, we're here today because of you. And Lord, there are many other needs, many other broken bodies, broken hearts. There are a dozen other things I probably could have mentioned or you would have revealed. My God, my prayer, my hope right now is that you would stir our hearts to believe again to cry out, to beg you. Oh God, heal us. Heal my mind. Heal my body. Heal my heart. Heal my son. Heal my daughter. Heal my marriage. And we come to you today, Lord, desperate, crying out to you. We need your power. We need your power. And so I ask you, Lord, I ask you during this last song, in fact, you've already started working in hearts, but in this moment of worship, touch us. As some will come forward this morning with the prayer team, touch them. Some will leave here today, Lord, and maybe it's a progressive thing. And, and several days later, uh, later this week, they'll realize that you did something. You're doing something, bringing healing to their heart, to their life, to their bodies. God, we need you. And I invite you, Holy Spirit, come. Come. Maybe you're here today and you've not yet started your life as a Christ follower. The greatest healing you will ever know is the healing of your soul, of your life, of your heart, where you come to Christ and you say, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you came for me, you died for me, you lived for me. And I today am choosing, I choose to follow you. And it is a choice that only you can make. No one else, your parents couldn't make it for you. No, your wife can't make it for you now. You and you alone can make the decision to surrender your life and say, God, I'm yours. Jesus, I am choosing today to follow you. And if that's you and you want to do that, it's a choice in your heart, in your mind. But I'm going to pray this very simple prayer right now. Just make these words yours. God, I surrender. I've been fighting you for decades, for a long time. I've been resisting. Today, I say yes. Today, I surrender my life. Today, I embrace the cross, what Jesus did for me. Today, I want to be forgiven, forgiven and set free. And so today, I choose you. Thank you for choosing me. Our work in our hearts, we surrender to you. And pray it in Jesus' name. Let's stand together.
We're going to worship this amazing song that I love. Make this your prayer. We're going to give. If you're our guest today, don't feel obligated to give. But if this is your church home, give to support what God's doing here. But let's give us an act of worship, and let's open our hearts to Him as we worship. And I'll come back and wrap it up. The thing that amazes me is that everything He's done for us and everything He wants to do today, tomorrow, this week, and the rest of your life is because He loves us. Some of you have doubted that love, and I hope today you leave here convinced more than perhaps you have been a long time. He loves you. You're loved. It's because of that love that he wants to bring wholeness to your life. Physical, emotional, spiritual, relational, financial wholeness. That's what he wants to do. Today, if you need prayer, there'll be a prayer team down front. These people are trained. They're here to pray for you. And by the way, don't get 20 people lined up for me to pray for you. I'm not special. He is. You hear me, what I'm saying? So I just want you to, to know that God's here. His presence is here to heal today. And so you think, well, I, something, I, come forward. Don't go that way. Come this way. If you need communion, it's available on both sides of the room. Feel free to take that today. And take a moment to reflect on the sacrifice that he made for you. But if today you begin your life as a Christ follower, you've started on that greatest journey ever. We want to walk with you in that journey. And by the doors, there's the package of new believers on it. And it's a date uh, coming up in April for our, our First Steps class. I need you to take that. I want you to pick one of these up. I want you to walk. let us walk with you and tell somebody what God's done in your life and heart. Hope you come back next week. Uh, three weeks from today is Easter, so take some of those flyers. And I, I promise you guys, what we've got planned for Easter is going to rock some people's world. It's going to rock their world. And it, they, they'll come if you invite them. So take some flyers. Invite your friends. May the Lord bless you. May he give you faith this week as you walk with him. Thanks for coming. God bless you.